Well, I'm so thankful to be up here this morning. Um, it's a great blessing for me, so I, I'm so thankful for it. But we are continuing our look today through the heroes of the faith that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. And remember the context of this letter. It was written to Christians who were in uh, danger of falling away from their faith. And so we've already looked at some sober warnings of the dangers, the very real dangers of fading away from the faith. And we've also received some solid exhortations to hold fast to that gospel. And now in this chapter, the author of this letter is giving us some clear examples from the ancestors of our faith of how they were able to stay faithful and how they, how they were able to believe, even though they went through all kinds of different trials and struggles. Today we are going to look at Abraham's story, and his story is an example to us of how we can live by faith, specifically uh, living in such a way that is trusting in all of God's promises to us through Jesus Christ. Now, how do we live by faith? How do we live in that way? And if I can just be honest with you all this morning, uh, that is a constant struggle for me, where I go through days and weeks and seasons of my life where I struggle with those kind of questions and questions of uh, doubts and if, you know, if this is all worth it. And this past week has been one of those, and I need this reminder just as much as any of us here. But do you guys know that struggle of, is it worth it? Is this life of faith worth it? Is it being a disciple of Christ and obeying him? Do you know that struggle? Abraham did know that struggle. He struggled daily in obedience to Christ, to God. But he was able to persevere. And the way that he was able to keep his faith was the same way that the original readers of this letter were able to keep their faith. And it's the same way that we will too. Abraham was able to keep his faith because he had a faith in and a conviction of the things unseen. And that's what we need to have too. Another way we can say it, and I'll put it up on the screen, is that we need to have faith that looks forward. Uh, back in April was the Boston Marathon. Do you guys remember that day? The horrible, crazy, just cold and biting and windy weather we had that day. I, I couldn't believe it. I just remember walking from my car to the office store that morning, and it was the worst day of my life. So I, so I don't know how anybody was able to run that race and to finish that race. We have some seven-milers who knew that weather very well. Uh, but I'd have to guess that one thing that kept those guys running, kept them moving their legs, was because that they had a faith that at some point down the road they were going to see in big letters painted on the street the word finish. They had a faith in an unseen finish line that gave them the faith to keep running. Our faith in the things unseen helps us live by faith in the present. The same was true for Abraham. Now, how did Abraham, how did he live by faith? What was he putting his faith in? What are, we, what are we supposed to be putting our faith in? How do we live by faith? What does that look like? Let's, let's pray, and we'll work on those questions together. God, your word is true. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Spirit, I pray that you would be working in our hearts this morning. 
Uh, Give us that grace to hear your word, to believe it, to have faith, to put our faith in you. God, we give you this time. We give it all up to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So how did Abraham live by faith? Well, to understand Abraham's story, we have to start at the beginning. And his story starts like all of our stories do. It starts with a call to faith. And Abraham, he has one of the longest recorded stories in our Bibles. His story starts in Genesis chapter 12, and it goes all the way to chapter 25. And for good reason. He is the uh, father of our faith. He is the guy that God picked to start this new nation, to be the father of this nation that was going to be his nation, that he was going to work through to give his covenants to, to work out his plan of redemption uh, throughout history. He needed somebody to be the father of this nation, that we are all descendants of by faith. So what kind of guy did God decide to choose, to call, to do this great work? Well, we read in Genesis that Abraham was a wicked sinner, and he was an idolater. He was living in this land called Ur, which was a pagan land. He was living with his father at the time and his wife, Sarah, and he had no concerns for the things of God at all. He was also 75 years old, and he didn't have any kids, well beyond the years of childbearing, he and his wife both. So not necessarily the uh, first-round draft pick kind of guy that you were wanting to build a team around. But God was looking for somebody to work through. He was going to do the possible and the impossible. And so he called Abraham. And here's what we read in verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So Abraham had no uh, desire to do any of this before God called him. But God called him. And he went. He called him to a new life that day. He was called to pack up all his things, all his belongings, his livestock, his servants, and to travel with his wife to this new place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And at first glance, we can kind of think it would be crazy for somebody to be so willing to give up the whole life that they'd known for 75 years to do something like this. And part of the reason that Abraham was willing to do this was that he was getting a pretty good deal out of it. You know, this word for inheritance can be understood in a similar kind of way if somebody came up to your door and knocked and said, hey, uh, we just want to let you know that you have a rich uncle and he passed away and he left all of his money to you. He left this inheritance to you. And by the way, I am so excited. I'm waiting for that call. I know it's happening. I'm really excited to meet my rich uncle one day uh, that I don't know about. But we understand, like, if that happened, like, that's a good deal. We might have some questions for sure, but we're not going to miss an opportunity like that to receive some kind of inheritance. And I'm not trying to sell Abraham short here. Uh, I say all that just to say that this was a real inheritance. This was a real physical, earthly blessing, a real promise of prosperity that God was giving to Abraham. So it would have been a factor. It was no just small, trivial thing that God was telling him. And while that was in play, though, the real reason that God obeyed Abraham that day was because uh, he met and had an encounter with 
the living and holy and eternal and righteous God. And when you come in contact with God, what else are you supposed to do? Now, I mentioned Abraham's story was a lot like ours, and it's because we are all called by God at some point in our lives. And that call comes in different ways. For Abraham, it was a divine meeting with God. I don't know if God met him with a voice from heaven or what that might have looked like. But for us, it can be hearing the word preached on a Sunday morning or when we are reading and opening our Bibles and hearing the word of God spoken to us or reading it or hearing it. God can call us through uh, meetings with other people, other believers, or seeing something, a Christ-like action in someone else. The call comes in different ways, but it does come to all of us at some point in our lives. And the call is always the same. It's a call to repentance, and it's a call to faith, and it's a call to leave our old lives behind and to go and follow God. And do you remember that first season of your faith? Do you remember that first time when the Spirit first started working in your life and you were being awakened to the beauty of the gospel? That you learned and understood the doctrines of grace, that you are saved by faith through Christ's sacrifice for you. Do you remember how easy it was to obey God then and how delightful it was for you to read your Bibles and to study Him and learn more about God? How you would pray in awe and wonder to God then? I think that is the experience that Abraham was feeling. Because when God calls us, we're met with the most precious inheritance we could ever hope for. We're met with a life with God. And so we don't know everything that that life is, what that life entails. We don't know where we're going to be going necessarily. Uh, Look at the end of verse 8 with me here. And after Abraham was called, it says, and he went out, not even knowing where we're going not even knowing where he was going. And the wording in the phrase here implies that there was no hesitation on Abraham's part. He was called by God, and he just went. There's nothing else that he could have done. And can you imagine what Abraham's neighbors must have been thinking, what they would have said to him as, he saw, as they saw him just packing up all of his things, saying, wait, where, where are you going again? Like, can you just run this past me one more time? And Abraham just had to shrug his shoulders, saying, I don't know where I'm going. All I know is that God has called me, and I have to go. I have to follow him. When we first come to that saving faith in Christ, when we first take that step of faith, when we first follow God's call, that's, that's the same experience that we have. I love the way that this commentator says it here. In speaking about Abraham's call, he writes, And it will be no different for you. People will ask you, if you answer God's call in faith, why are you giving up the pleasures of sin? Why are you throwing your life away to serve God where he calls you? Why are you obeying the Bible instead of doing what is popular? You like every believer since Abraham's time, must only reply, even if with much difficulty, I have met God, and he has called me I know not where, I must obey, for I want to be saved by faith in him. When we encounter God, 
he calls us to obey. And often in these first seasons of faith, it can be easy to obey. We can cry out like David does in the, psalm, in the Psalms and say, Lord, I delight in your law. I meditate on it day and night. But at some point in our lives of obedience, we are met with distractions and temptations. We are met with doubts. We struggle with, is this worth it? Was it worth uh, giving my life away that I've known to follow Christ? And we see the distractions in the world around us and we wonder, would life have been better if I had not taken this call? And we're met with these reality that does not live up to what our expectations were. And we have to struggle through that. Abraham, he did not know where he was going, but he had this inheritance that was promised to him and this land that he was promised to be his own. So he went out in faith. He went and he was met with a lot of adversity that he did not expect and things did not go the way that he had planned. And he had to learn the hard way. And this is the next verse here, or the next part here. That the life of faith, this life of obedience, is not just a series of actions that we take, but it is a default disposition of our hearts. It's a lifestyle that we have to continually work at living. And so Abraham, he went out to this land that he was supposed to receive as an inheritance, but it did not go as planned. Um, have you guys seen the movie National Lampoon's Vacation? Have you seen that one? Not, not Christmas Vacation, which is a better one, but uh, I think the first one, just the vacation itself, with Chevy Chase, Classic 80s movie. All right, if you haven't seen it, Chevy Chase is Clark Griswold. And he is taking his wife and his two teenage kids on a much-needed family vacation. The destination is Wally World, the greatest amusement park in the world on the West Coast. And Clark, being the prototypical middle-class husband and father that he is, has planned out this whole journey from Chicago all the way to L.A. down to the last single, solitary, minute, smallest detail possible. And wouldn't you know it, nothing at all goes according to his plan. They immediately get lost in East St. Louis, Illinois, which you do not want to get lost at. I did that trying to go to a Cardinals baseball game one time. It was horrible. And they're going and getting lost and taking unnecessary stops. They crash or their car breaks down and they have to get it fixed and some uh, mechanics there do a bad job and basically rob them. He's out of money at this point, so he has to try to steal some money from the clerk at the hotel register that they're checking into for the night. They even lose Aunt Edna on the way. And I don't mean that she wandered too far into the Cracker Barrel gift shop and they couldn't find her, but she actually passed away on the road. Um, The movie does get a little dark. But after all of this, Clark is reaching his wit's end and he's about to lose it, but he finally sees some hope on the horizon. He sees the Wally World signs and he's driving. He takes a couple more exits and there it is in big bright letters, Wally World. And just like that, all the, easy, all the weariness from his trip is starting to fade away. And he's starting to smell the funnel cakes and the corn dogs. And he's starting to feel the breeze in his hair from the roller coasters. And he's pulling in up to the gate, uh, not even noticing that the parking lot's empty and other telltale signs. But he parks his car and the family scrambles out and they're running to the gate, sprinting. 
and they're met with a locked door and a sign that says, closed for maintenance for two weeks. All of that journey, all of those hardships, all of that for nothing. Believe it or not, that was Abraham's experience trying to get to this promised land that God had given him. He spent many years traveling hundreds of miles from the land of Ur, where he was from, which today would be in Iraq. And he traveled hundreds of miles to the land of Canaan, this promised land, which would be where Israel is today. And that was the land he was supposed to have as an inheritance. And his journey was not easy getting there. He was met with hardships. He was met with losses. He uh, had famines that had to uh, redirect his route. And when he finally gets to the land, here's what it says that happens to him. This is verse 9. It says, By faith he went to live in this land of promise. He made it to Canaan, but he had to live in it as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, I'm not a homeowner. I have not had to go through that process yet. I know some of you are and some of you have. So I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but I do know one thing about buying a home is that when you finally do buy a home, you do not expect other people to be living in that home that you just bought. I do know that that's true. But this, is, this was Abraham's experience. He finally gets to this land that God has said, this is yours, this is your land that you can call home. And he gets there and there's already Canaanites living there. There's already people living there. There's cities, there's populations and communities And when he gets there, he's received as a foreigner. There's no welcome home party for him. So when our lives are met with these uh, missed expectations, there's a couple different ways we can respond. We can be like Clark Griswold, and we can start throwing haymakers at the moose outside of the Wally World entrance. Or we can respond like Abraham does and receive his life the way it is and live by faith no matter what. And it would have been so easy for Abraham to be grumbling at this point. For him to say, God, what are, you, what are you doing? I did everything you asked me to. I obeyed when you called. I packed up all my things. I traveled hundreds of miles. I went through hardships and losses and struggles to get to this land. I've done everything you've asked me to do. And I get here, and this is what I get. I have to, there's people already here. There's people in my house. This is not what you promise me. This is not the inheritance. This could not have been what you said. And it would have been easy for him just to slide back into that lifestyle to throw off God at that point and say, you know what? I made it here. I'm just going to build my life here. I'm going to build a home. I'm going to find a house. I'm going to move into the city. I'm going to live with these people. These people living there were very similar to what he had experienced growing up. The same rituals, the same idolatry, the same pagan practices. He would have fit right in. He could have relapsed back into his old lifestyle. And so he was forced to make another choice, and it's a choice that he would have to make daily. It was a lifestyle choice. Do I trust God or not? Do I obey God or not? And he did. He obeyed. And this is the meaning of the verse when it says that he lived in tents. You know, there are countless details in Abraham's story from all of those chapters in Genesis, but the author of this letter and the spirit 
gave us this small, seemingly insignificant detail in this story today, that he lived in tents. And why is that significant to us? Well, it shows us that Abraham did not consider himself a citizen among these people in that land. By living in a tent, he was demonstrating to himself and to his family and showing and proving himself to God that he was going to believe in God's promises for him. Tents are, they're impermanent. They're only temporary. Abraham was not going to build his life without God. He was going to trust in God's timeline. That was not his own timeline. He was going to trust in God's providence for him and not try to provide for himself. And this is the season of our lives of faith when it gets difficult too. When we are trying to live by faith, but the expectations, or our expectations are just don't work out the way we thought. This is also known as life with God does not work out the way that we thought it would go. And this is when there's, there's death that comes in, there's sickness and trials and we are keep hearing lies from the devil and of the world and the world around us seem, seems enticing to us and that sin that we've been struggling with our whole lives is still there. We haven't got rid of it. What are we supposed to do at that point when things get tough? Do we go back to our old lifestyles or do we press on in the faith? Just like Abraham, we're called to live that lifestyle of faith and to press on and to have a life when we can live out this truth and say with confidence that in every area of my life, I am going to trust in God's promises to me through Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do. Okay. Some days I feel like that's the most easier said than done-ist thing in the world. So is there any hope or help for us today? Is there any help for us to live by faith? Well, here's what kept Abraham going And this is going to be a help for us today too. We already talked about it. And it's faith that looks forward. Abraham had faith looking forward. Abraham was looking forward to the city that God was building, whose designer and builder was God, that had strong foundations. Look at the uh, next verse with me. So Abraham obeys the call. He moves to this land. He's able to live in tents impermanently. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The verb to look here is an intensive verb. It is active, it's not passive. And in the original language, it's in the imperfect tense, which means that it is a continuous action. That means that this was not something that Abraham did once when he first arrived at the land, This is not like a light switch that he turned on and then it was just on. This was something that he was constantly working at. This was a continual bent of his heart. His affections were continually looking towards the things of God. The disposition of his heart was constantly seeking after him, longing for that city that he was building. And since his heart was tuned in that way, he was able to live by faith in the present. He was able to live by faith in those tents, all of his life. In this life, we are called to do likewise. We are called to live 
impermanently, to not struggle to build a life for ourselves here, to not get caught up in all the unnecessary cares of the world. And when we do that, when we have that perspective in place, when we have that lifestyle of our heart in place, that can give us the strength, the courage to keep running the race, the motivation to keep going, to keep living by faith. When we put all of those cares aside and put them on Christ. This is what some call the eternal perspective that we are to have as Christians. And I love this, uh, the way that the Puritan uh, Jeremiah Burroughs puts it. I'll read this to you. He says, The scripture tells us plainly that we must behave ourselves here as pilgrims and strangers. He says, Consider what your condition is. You are pilgrims. And strangers. So do not think to satisfy yourselves here. So let us not be troubled when we see that other men have great wealth, but we have not. Why? Because we are going away to another country. You are, as it were, only lodging here for a night. If you were to live a hundred years in comparison to eternity, it is not so much as a night. It is as though you were traveling and had come to an end. That is what this life is. That is what Abraham understood his life to be. Just a stop at the end on the way to something even better. That is what gave him the ability to live in tents his whole life to live impermanently because he was just there lodging for a night. If we have that same kind of forward-looking faith, that can give us the strength to live by faith in the present. And now I want to make sure you don't misunderstand me here. This is not a call for us to, to sell our homes. It's not a call for us to pick up a four-by-four four square foot tent that doesn't have mosquito netting and lets rainwater in and it's just a horrible thing and move out to the fields of Nebraska somewhere God forbid, I couldn't do that, I'm not a camper. It's not a call for us to do that, but it is a call for us to throw away any desire that we might have to lay up for ourselves foundations here in this life. Because any foundations that we try to lay up are not going to last. And we live in the city of Melrose, and some of us in Saugus, and in Stoneham, and Wakefield, and in all the greater Boston cities. These are great cities that have solid foundations. We have good schools for our kids, We have great hospitals, we have book clubs, and we have Whole Foods. We have public transportation. We have everything that we might need to live a comfortable life here. But none of those foundations are going to last. Do not put your faith in these foundations. Put your faith in the only city that truly has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And this city that's to come This is life with God forever in eternity. It is the kingdom of God has come to us. It is also a real city that Abraham was looking forward to. It's also a real city that we can look forward to. And I just want to read to you from Revelation chapter 22 that gives us a picture of what this city would look like, what this city will look like. Revelation 22 Starting in verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Yes, please, God. No longer will there be, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This was the city that Abraham was looking forward to. It's the city that gave the Apostle Paul the ability to say that he considers the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. It is the city that we are looking forward to as well. It's what gives us the faith to keep living today. So what would change in your life if you were to have faith looking forward? And I'll just close with this. As much as we try to make the Bible what we want it to be, and as much as we try to change the definitions of discipleship, Jesus' words are still the same. He still says to us all, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There is a cost to discipleship It cost Abraham his homeland. It cost him his comfortable life he was living previously. It cost him years of travel and struggle. And even when he got to his final destination, he had to live intense the rest of his life. He and his sons after him, Isaac and Jacob, never seeing the full fulfillment of that promise that God made for him in that life. For you and for me and for us, it will also cost something It will cause some unease and there will be some suffering that comes. But do not mistake any of my words this morning here that we live some kind of reluctant obedience. And don't think for a second that Abraham would have been better off if he would have just stayed at home where he had lived for the first 75 years of his life. That is not the Christian story. That is not our story. Our story is a story of unspeakable joy. Because what could be better than God meeting with us and the eternal God calling to us? And even more than that, that that same God from all eternity has known you and has sought after you personally. And he has crossed the mountains and the plains and the valleys and the roads and the rivers to come and find us. He sought us out like he does to Abraham and he calls us to go and to follow him to have a new life with him, a life that is eternal forever, a life of forgiveness and a life of joy. What a wonderful life that is. So if you are here today and have not had that call yet on your life, God is calling you today to faith and to repentance. God is calling you right now I pray that you would take that call and you would obey. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ who have had that call and have obeyed and have done the life of faith, 
whether that was many years ago or more recent, whether you're young or old, and if you're struggling this week, or if you're on uh, one of those fresh waves of gospel grace and gospel wakefulness in your life, wherever you are at, whenever you grow weary, I pray that you would follow Abraham's example, that you would refix your faith towards the future, that you would fix your gaze on Jesus who has gone before, that you would have your faith that looks forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I pray you would go and live by that faith today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have sought after us all. You have loved us with a love unimaginable, indescribable. You have called all of us to be your sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you for this example that you've given us of your servant Abraham, who is the father of our faith, that we can look to when we struggle, that we can look to when we have doubts, as an example of someone who is able to live by faith. I pray, Spirit, that you would do that work in our hearts today to strengthen our faith like Abraham's, to constantly turn our thoughts and affections towards you and you alone, to receive all of our assistance from you alone, and to look forward to, to your city that you're building for us, the place that you have prepared for us, life with you eternally. Thank you, God. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.